Hello and welcome to the Own Your Role podcast. I'm your host, Dean Watt, and I'm your guide to exceptional leadership and dynamic culture in your business. Join me each week as we explore practical tips through fun and fascinating interviews with successful business owners who've mastered the art of leadership. Over the last 20 years as a keynote speaker, author, and high-performing team transformation specialist, I've been fascinated by what it takes to create a great culture and dedicated team members in a business. When leaders truly own their roles and empower their team members to do the same, a great culture is always the result. So whether you're on your couch or in your car, on a treadmill or hiking up a hill, get ready to be inspired and entertained as you learn exactly how to own your role. And welcome once again, everybody, to the Own Your Role podcast. I'm excited to have you here again. Thank you so much for joining us each week as we share with you some real and interesting stories with entrepreneurs that I find fascinating and people that I think will help increase your life. As you know, we get a variety of different types of guests on the show, and um, I'm so grateful for all of you that have written in, have told me that you've listened to the podcast. I was at an event just last weekend and had a few of you come up to me. Actually, one person who had hired me to speak at their group came to me and said, you know what? I've only heard your podcast. I've never heard you speak in real life. And I was really appreciative of that. And I'm also super appreciative of people who share this podcast with their friends and their colleagues, knowing that our goal here is to give you the best practices for your business possible. And that's why we bring on the caliber of guests that we do. And today is no different. I get to speak with Richard Parker, who is somebody I actually got to meet as a pre-meet a couple of weeks ago. And after reading his bio and his mission for his business, I thought, this is right up the alley of what we're doing here on Own Your Role. So I know you're going to enjoy it. Get ready. If you're on a treadmill, get ready to take some you know notes somehow, maybe voice memos. If you're sitting at your desk, uh, make sure you get some notes that way. If not, make sure that you share this podcast with somebody who you think might find it useful. Again, thank you for all being here. And let's get started with our next episode. Richard, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm, uh, I told you when we first met that I, I really liked the reading through your mission and understanding how important it was to help people uh, learn how to buy businesses. It's something that I'm really unfamiliar with. It's something that I have always been uh, just curious about how that works if I could do that or not, why I would want to do that instead of just building up my own business. So I think you're going to be just a, a joy of knowledge and, and I really appreciate you being here. But as we do on every episode, we want to start off with your story of how did you get involved in this space? Is this something you wanted to do growing up? What's the story? Well, thanks again for having me. So going back in time, and I won't uh, bore, you, uh, bore you with the long uh, with the long version, I was always entrepreneurial, even as a kid, always had a job. Or was, I grew up in Canada, shoveling snow in the winter, washing cars in the in the summertime, delivering newspapers, um, always trying to make a few dollars. I come from a very lower middle class family. We didn't want for anything, but we certainly weren't uh, affluent. And um, I was thinking about actually earlier today at one point, my father um, passed away 10 years ago. He was always um, he was always very generous with giving me money when I had a job. If I didn't have a job, he wouldn't offer to give me any money. But when I had a job, when I had a job, he always asked me if I need any money. So I was thinking about reflecting upon that today. So I um, when I finished school, I started working um, originally in the uh, clothing industry, which was quite popular in Montreal, then um, got into, involved in the consumer products business, working for a company. I um, grew very quickly within the company. It was a very fast-growing company, typical of the toy business. Toy gets hot and the company's on fire. Mm. I was 29 years old. 
I was making $72,000 a year, which was quite a lot at that point. They were very generous owners. And through my brilliance, I managed to blow $60,000 in the stock market, oh, wow. and which was uh, devastating. And I realized that I there was only three ways I was going to get out of this mess. I was either going to win the lotto, and I don't buy lotto tickets. I could go to v- Vegas, and I'm not a gambler. Um or I can go into my own business. The fourth one was borrow money from my parents, but that certainly wasn't an option. So mm-hmm. realize like if, if I don't make a dent in this, this debt may never go away. And so I decided to go into my own business. The timing was quite good because the company that I was with was selling off some of the divisions, mine included. And I negotiated with the company that acquired our division that I would train their staff in exchange for getting the exclusive rights to the products we were handling for Eastern Canada. And so that was my first foray into what I call legitimate businesses. I had bought a couple before um, when I was younger, but they weren't really serious businesses that I could grow substantially. And within short order of going into that business and the products that I was selling were consumer products, um, infant products, think uh, uh, bibs, bath towels, um, pacifiers, squeeze toys, et cetera. And we sold them to retailers in Canada. And I recognized very quick, quickly that no matter how good a job that I did selling these products, the at retail, they weren't getting displayed properly. We would run ads and the product got stuck in the back room. And um, the, the retailers at that point, especially in Canada, were going more towards self-service so there wasn't staff. So I started looking into that and started um, building and buying a couple of companies that were in the retail service business where we would go in and actually do the work that normally store staff would do with getting the merchandise onto the shelves, displaying properly. Um, and I bought one of my first companies was I think probably company number four. That was a company that was already in the business. Um, I could not afford to buy their company, but I just knew it'd be perfect for my business as an offshoot. And so I negotiated a pretty attractive deal with the owner of the company that gave him a substantial piece of the business going forward. He bought into my vision. I knew it was going to work. I mean, I'm not I'm not a cocky, egotistical guy, but I, I knew it was a perfect see the path. Yeah. hundred percent. That's the exact word. I could see the path. And um was a company he wanted originally was way back when wanted at least a hundred thousand dollars up front which I, which I didn't have but i convinced him to do it for far less than that and join join me um and that company from that initial um very small investment grew that business to a four and a half million dollar business with 200 staff across canada which wow. was sick sickeningly profitable because we were selling labor and we were doing this tremendous service and then i acquired some other companies within that um uh, within that space, a, um, a infant products company, an event marketing company, an Asian trading company, and they were all doing quite well. And then I acquired the rights to Sega Video for Eastern Canada at the time that Sega just blew up. I know this was blind luck. I mean, this was dumb wow. luck. I mean, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time when Sega's business, you know, exploded. And within a few years, I knew what was going to happen. I started making more money than the entire senior executives at Sega, so they bought me out which I knew was going to happen. Um, yeah. It's very tip- It's very typical as a distributor or manufacturer's rep when you start doing too well, company buys you out. And I, so I solved for that in the contract because I knew it was inevitable. I sold the business to Sega and I relocated to Florida. And uh, my children were very young. I had three kids at the time, I have four now and one grandson. And um, started looking at one particular business that I was looking to acquire. Um, prior to moving down here, I had done some consulting in M&A because I started getting a, a reputation for being able to buy businesses, but it was more ad hoc and casual helping people. 
And um, when I came down to Florida, I got involved looking at a transaction for a company that was a distributor for um, Maytag commercial um, washers and dryers, typically what they sold to um, uh, dormitories, apartment buildings where people would pay for the laundry. That model has changed quite a bit. But what happened was they had a very large uh, sales component, a service and a repair and a parts department. And I had a, a negotiated a pretty good deal. Um, I was excited about the business. I started getting really involved in the due diligence. And um, I soon found out that the company was a complete mess. It wasn't, I'm, I'm not going to represent that was that it was intentional, but it certainly was like a plate of spaghetti. They were taking money from one company, putting it into the other company, mm. weren't reporting properly. Who is right? The inventory was, was a disaster. And so at every point, it just, it, it, it really was problematic. And I, told the owner, uh, I was doing some work at their place. Um, actually, I think it was that particular day verifying some inventory and I advised the owner that, you know, there was just, it was, there was just too many problems. I couldn't, I couldn't figure anything out, right? They're like, who's who in the zoo? It was just the, the parts company was selling to the service company, one company that used to, um, they owned their own machines that they were generating the re revenue, which wasn't part of it. They were putting money in periodically into the other company to prop it up. So like I said, a complete plate of spaghetti, impossible to get to the bottom of it. And um, I left the place. I walked out. I remember standing in the parking lot and I thinking to myself, you know, the average schmuck would have bought this business. Like it was only because I had done this so many times. I'm not that smart. Yeah. But I, had, I had done it plenty of times. I said, you know, like the average person would have bought this business and would have made a terrible mistake. It wasn't a massive acquisition. It was a little over a million dollars, but that money would have evaporated. Sure. And so, and so it really excited me um, about like, what does the average person do who wants to buy a business? Like, what's out there related to resources and information and, and support and advisory services. And I, I, and I'm very intellectually curious as far as wanting to, I, I love learning new about new projects or new things. And I started jumping in. It was early stages of the internet. And I realized that every point that I looked at, there was really nothing concrete for individuals mm -hmm. looking to buy businesses um, on, on a lower level, think main street USA type businesses. And so I had had over the years, I'd looked at hundreds of businesses. I kept terrific notes of every situation. If I this happened, I did this. If that happened, I did that. What was the outcome? What could have worked better? Proper, real good after action reports related to any failed deals or successful deals. And I decided to put all of my uh, files into a program that would really take people by the hand and explain to them what they need to know, what they need to do, and how to do it. And keeping in mind that the resources available, whether they business brokers or lawyers and accountants, they didn't just provide, they didn't provide enough value to individuals that were going to invest their hard-earned money in something that they had no idea about before. And my goal was strictly to be able to put my then life's work into um, a program, right? Mm -hmm. And just to help people. I never had any intention of turning it into a business. The night before we launched the program, and we launched it online, it's 20 years ago. It's constantly updated, of course. My wife asked me how many think I'm going to sell. And I, my answer then is the same as it is now. If, you know, if I can help one person buy the right business or avoid buying the wrong one, it'll be worth the effort. Well, lo and behold, here we are a number of years later, sold over 100,000 of these. We've helped people in about 80 countries. Wow. It's, 
it's been unbelievable. And, you know, we, we keep it very inexpensive because the agenda and the mission to just help people. I love this type of work. It's incredibly gratifying. I pick up my phone or answer my emails all day long. I don't charge people to have questions as they go through the process. So it's just been phenomenally gratifying. And I've acquired some other businesses along the way up at this point and done some more M&A. And so sorry for the long winded well, that's, answer that's one to of the things question. that's well, one of the things that's interesting about like when I was reading your bio and when we had that first initial call was around like, you really want people just to be able to have access to the information in as easy a format and as an affordable format as possible, especially people who are you know, just now starting to figure out or think about what if I did buy a business, what would it take? What would it mean if I, and, and how do I, you know, analyze a business? You had the forethought and the ability to say, all right, I'm going to look into all this stuff because I know what I'm looking for. But like you said, if somebody didn't know what they're looking for and on the outside looked at nice, shiny, great uh, business opportunity might jump at that and lose, lose their money, lose their investment, lose whatever it might be. Uh, but your passion is really in, helping people understand this. And I love the line in your bio where you say um, something around like you, you get, you love waking up every day getting to do what you do. Like it's a joy to be able to do what you do. Um, where does that come from? Is there growing up in Canada, having your entrepreneur mindset, right? Where does this idea to um, number one, understand business number, number two, be able to evaluate businesses as well as you do. And number three, make it easy for anybody to understand. Where, where does that come from? Where does that mindset come from? So it's a um, three-tiered question, and I'll try to answer each one effectively. Um, I think the mindset comes from, I always wanted to have more things than my parents had. Mm. My, my father was a real hardworking guy, and so was my mother. Um, and my father, you'll, you'll enjoy this. I don't mean to age you or I, but my father was an aluminum siding salesman, a door-to-door yeah. aluminum siding salesman. And I did that with him every summer. And he worked his ass off. And he was mm. a great guy. He, he finished school when he was 12, right? Mm. So things have changed a little bit. Um, and yet, despite any formal education, he was a real street smart, savvy guy, but worked mm. his butt off. And um, it was very much a case of, you know, someone... I saw him spend his whole life earning a living and he forgot to make any money. Uh, And so that, that always resonated with me. And I just wanted stuff that was nicer and an easier way than my parents had. Right. And, um, and even though I'm not, you know, I don't think of myself as materialistic in that regard. So that, I think the mindset or original to have some better stuff, or an easier way of life was was part of it. Like before, always, you go, before you go yeah. on the next question, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think it's very interesting. And that's kind of why I asked the question is, I feel like so much of what most people do, even, you know, whether you're successful or not, what do you, whatever you want to call success, but there is that element of childhood that we learn something, whether it be the positive side of things, so like, oh, I want to do like that, or the negative of, oh, I don't want to do that, but ends up being a positive in your life. I, I often make the joke around my own family that I've made a lot of money off my parents' divorce, right? Because <laughs> it was such a traumatic thing for me growing up and having that moment in my life. But it also started me on the journey of wanting to understand relationships and how to communicate with people and to connect with people. And I'm naturally very curious about that anyway. But it just created a different desire for me. And I can see that with you 
it's not like you're and and I it bugs me when people kind of misconstrue this of your dad did nothing wrong. He did what he knew. He actually did better than what he probably quote unquote should have been able to do because of his hard work and his street smarts. But building on top of that, on standing on those shoulders of the things he taught you made you go, oh, if dad was able to do it at this level, what could I do with more information and more knowledge and more education? Um, I think that's really fascinating if we look at that in our own psyche of entrepreneurs or any type of business owner or leader in that way. So I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just always think it's fascinating to see where it goes back to in our childhood. Well, I think it's a great observation because you know, the, the overarching theme to that is what do you learn from lessons, right? Yeah. Good ones, you know, failures or successes, right? And you should be able to learn more from failures. Yeah. You should be able to learn more from being wrong. I mean, if you're right about something, you don't learn anything because you knew that already. So if you're wrong about something, mm-hmm. you should be able to learn if you're open-minded. Um, failures will teach you a lot if you process them properly and not let your ego get into the way. And so when you reference, you know, your family's divorce, the lesson learned there is I want to do better at relationships or understand, you know, the dynamics of a relationship so that that type of thing doesn't happen to me necessarily. And I could help prevent it happening to other people. And so, you know, lessons learned um, are infinitely better from difficult situations, at least in my, in in my experience. Right. Totally. When I, when I was much younger, I was probably too hard headed, a bit of an ego and some insecurity and wouldn't allow those lessons to penetrate the brain. But as you get older and you recognize that those there's a golden opportunity for incredible lessons that will carry you the rest of your life in those difficult times. It's just how you reflect upon them and how you dust yourself off and, and make sure you don't, you know, you know, make sure you don't repeat the mistake the next time. So, so then related to parents or related to um, I think mindset, and it wasn't necessarily only by, by no means materialistic. It was just, you know, just a better way and seeing that hard work. I mean, uh, the influence of hard work, it certainly uh, resonated with me. My mother at one point, I think she had three jobs. Um, so they worked really, really hard. Um, and the other part, you know, in answer to your question was, as as it relates sort of this idea with helping people, I think that was one of the questions. Yeah, is, yeah. Why did is, that? Um, you know, I, I guess I've always found it incredibly gratifying. Like it's almost self-serving. Like I've gotten tremendous. I've, I coached kids hockey when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. Um, I still play three, four times a week for an old guy. It's not too bad, but um, the, you know, the, 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 the gratification of helping others, I've always found incredibly enjoyable. I mean, at first, you know, one of my first things that I did was I had a paper route for 12 years old delivering the Sunday express and, um, used to work on tips and like a penny a piece. They were uh, 15 cents for the paper and people used to give you a quarter. And then when it went up to 20 cents, you'd only get a nickel tip. So it was really pissed me off. But, um, <laughs> but what I did was I, I ended up buying um, and acquiring a bunch of little other, other uh, routes in the, in the neighborhood from a hundred paper papers went up to about a thousand and they sold them all off to kids in the neighborhood, wow. but, I didn't, but I didn't charge them. I said, look, you'll work for the tips. Cause I knew we'd get, I got a penny or it started at two and then went to a penny, a penny a piece. Um, I said, you delivered a paper. You don't have to pay me anything. You just work on tips. And they were all thrilled, but you know, I had a thousand um, papers Wow, you know, and, and and you're making a penny a, a penny a piece plus my tip. So I was making you know sometimes up to about twenty bucks a week, which was a whole lot of money in 1973, 
right? Yeah. I think the average, you know, I think the average uh, uh, individuals make about a hundred. I think the average salary is about five thousand dollars a year. So I was doing pretty good for a twelve-year-old kid. But I sure. enjoyed seeing my buddies thrive, right? So that was yeah. great. So I think it goes back pretty far. And I've always been, you know, helpful in nature. My parents have always been helpful to others. It's just to me, it's part of life. It's an enjoyable thing, um, and and so it's 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 just it's part of my DNA without trying to sound like a uh, a martyr it really is part of my dna yeah. still enjoy it i get it's great uh, it's it's great satisfaction and it's always continued well the fact of the matter is that we live in a, a world where information marketing is so huge i mean i i'm in information marketing and there are people out there who sell courses teach courses uh for multiple thousands of dollars to learn how to do this. And then it's like a rabbit hole. It's then you can upgrade to this thing and upgrade to that thing. And I'm not knocking that model at all. I, I, you know, I, I participate in part of that model as well, but you've decided to make sure that it's almost democratized. Like the information that you have and that you've gained out of all these years has been democratized through what you do. Tell people a little bit about like how you help. And, and by the way, you know, most of our, viewers are people who already have a job like we're not we're not focusing our audience our target audience is not people who are looking for something to do they're looking for people who either want to add on to what they already do want to diversify or want to look at what's next if they decide to have another uh, evolution in their in their work experience which again, we both come from a generation where our parents didn't think that way, right? You got the job, you stayed there for the 40 years, you retired, you you know lived in Boca Raton or Arizona for the next you know 30 years of your life before you pass on. We don't have that same idea in our head. So what made you decide, uh, number one, and what made you decide to try to create this model that's more approachable or available for everybody? And number two, um, tell us a little bit about that model. Okay, so you're you're absolutely correct. There is a, a, a tremendous amount of information products on the marketplace. And while I don't agree with that upsell model, that's I don't disparage it. That's anybody free to make their living how they want to make their living. I just really oppose it because I think I, you know, I've bought information products over the years um, where it, it always seemed like what I got was nowhere near what I thought I was going to get. Right. Right. And so, you know, things are promises and <clears throat> and also the support because you can get a pile of information, but sometimes you need some hand holding over and above that. And so so there's a couple things that were very important for me. Number one is I don't need the money. So that's that's I mean, when you start with that, that's very helpful. Yeah. So, you know, and for me is I, I I didn't even intend this to become a business. I just wanted to help people. It remains that um, fact. I've had people or consultants or marketing companies coming over the years and tell me I should be charging 10 times the amount that we do for the product and you should be doing the up. So I just don't believe in the model. And I've had wonderful comments back from people who've bought the product and been incredibly successful. So you should be charging much more. Well, that's all wonderful. I appreciate it, but I have no interest in doing it. To me, it's like you're supposed to give, give someone a, a ton of value. And that was my goal. So what, So the first thing was the model that uh, my model, number one is by and large to cover every possible subject matter that individuals are going to come across. But more important than that is not leave someone standing with the, you know, standing there holding the bag. By that, I mean, I could try to um, outline every possible scenario that comes up, but I can't cover everything. I mean, I'm doing this for 30 years. I still learn something new in every deal. And so, and that's for someone who, again, I would hope that, so, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm yeah. not that smart. I'm just doing it a long time. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so anybody who's never done this, 
right? No matter how good the information is, and I know it's pretty good, there's still going to be situations that are unique. Sure. And so yeah. I felt very strongly that if someone has a problem or a question or a situation, call me, email me. I'm happy to answer your question. I never charge them for that. I'm just not looking for this idea of sell someone a product, then trade them up to a, you know, a, a a personal consulting, then trade them up to like, excuse my French, a bullshit mastermind group. And all of a sudden someone spent like $300 and now they're in the hole for 25,000. I just think it's wrong. And again, everybody can do what they want. It's their business. I just think you just, I, again, it's, it's just in my nature. I want to deliver tremendous value. The other thing was I never wanted anyone in my model, right. To ever think that they shouldn't learn this information because price was an issue. Like, oh, interesting. I just, want, I just wanted to make it dumb easy, right? And so, so that whole model, and again, it goes fits so much with the fact that I, ne- I didn't develop this as a business. And so it's worked incredibly well because I, you know, part of the challenge when you s- sell a product online is to demonstrate your sincerity. Like I could yeah. sit here and tell you and we could have a nice conversation and I can say all these things online and it's a sales pitch. People could, perce- or, you know, people perceive it as a sales pitch, but it's, it's, it's being able to convey sincerity is very difficult. Sure. And I would rather someone say, you know what, this sounds too good to be true. I'm not even going to do it. That's okay. You know, I, I understand the internet works that way, but I really learned a couple things, which is, you know, and I've tried to be very upfront with people. I am very upfront with people related to what they're going to encounter and whether they, people choose to purchase the material or not. I mean, that, that, that's, I don't, it doesn't really matter that much. My lifestyle doesn't change, but I've learned that if you, you know, if you tell people what you, what they want to hear, you can make a sale. Mm. Right. But if you tell people what they need to hear, you could really make a difference. It's true. And yeah. so try to have that, philosophy going into things and saying, here's what you're faced with. If you're even thinking about buying a business, right? And you're in a job, well, you you really do owe it to yourself to at least explore what it's about, mm. right? You don't, you may not do it. You know, this is doable for anybody. It doesn't mean everybody's going to do it, but you should at least explore that. And if you want to explore that, I'm going to present it to you in a way that's going to make it dumb easy for you to acquire the information to learn whether or not you want to do it. And so that I think is hopefully explains like the overarching model of how I've approached this. Well, I'm, I'm always for anything that's dumb easy. Cause that's, that's <laughs> the story of my life. Hey, you and me both. Oh man. If I it's like break it down, uh, matter of fact, I w- I'm doing a whole program right now that I'm creating around uh, intergenerational, uh, intergenerational communication, right? Cause we have so many people that work in businesses together where you've got the millennials and then you've got the generation X and you got baby boomers and uh, gen Y and all that. And uh, one of the things that they talk about is how most millennials and or gen Xers and baby boomers, which is our world uh, rather have things just like, okay, just, just give me the bullet points. Give me the stuff that I need to know so I can go and fix that or do that. I'm like, yep, that's totally me. Like, whereas your Gen Z and Gen Yers, they want to understand why this is going to be good for bigger purposes like humanity or how this is going to help them you know, affect their life in any way. If it's going to interrupt their life, they don't want it, but if it's going to affect it in a positive way. They want it. Anyways, that's me. I'm just like, give me dumb, smart stuff. I like that stuff. 
I'm 100% in agreement. And maybe it's because like we're both getting older, so we don't have time for the explanation. We just want to cut, you know, yeah. like cut right to the chase. But it's also that sort of philosophy has impacted a lot of things. Like I, I'm coaching hockey for, you know, over 40 years and it used to be old school, drill it into people, right? And yes. now even at the higher levels, like my son played junior uh, hockey, very high uh, junior level hockey, and you speak to some of the pro coaches or whatever, they have to, you know, really understand the individual now versus this old school yelling and screaming and have to explain things in detail as to, you know, like the um, uh, action and stimulus, like why they're doing this and, and what they can expect as the outcome. So, right. you know, it is more generational. I'm not, I don't know if one's better than the other, but I, right. you, know, you and I are, you and I are more um, in, I think aligned philosophically and it is probably, you know, it is, uh, you know, a, a, an age thing or, or a cultural thing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So tell us how, like all the different styles of businesses that you talk about when it comes to building, I noticed on your website, you talk about buying businesses in Australia and was it UK? Yeah, we have two industry specific guides for those particular countries. Our gener- our, our our main program is how to buy a good business at a great price. That is the guide that covers how to buy a business. But and what's interesting is that I'm sorry to interrupt, but just no, that, no, please. I, that that like just kind of struck me was there were all types of businesses. You had a business there on on the internet, right? How you can buy internet based businesses, which. Quite frankly, to me, I, I I probably double take to that because the thing I always think about when building a business or buying a business, if you buy a if you buy a real t- retail store or something like that, you're dealing with people and you're dealing with inventory and dealing with stuff like that. And I was like, oh, internet business, that's interesting. That I never thought about buying somebody else's internet business, right? That's already there. So, uh, tell us all about like the types of businesses that you help people buy. Are there any caps on that? Uh, the types of business, like what's the best way to go to? We had a I don't know, you probably don't know this, but we had just recently on a lady who does franchises. And I was shocked at the type of franchises that you can buy out there, like tree trimming that are national franchises and stuff like that. So I'd love to hear some of these and also some of the, some of your favorites and if there are favorites that you like to play with. Okay, so I, I actually listened to that podcast. Was, oh. was it Vic, Vicky Daily or Daily or uh, what was it? Da, um, something uh, Daily, yeah. Um, yeah, she was she was Kim terrific. Daly? Kim Daily, yeah, yeah. She, Kim Kim Wright, sorry, yeah, she was terrific. Um, and franchisers definitely part of. So the if you think about conceptually think about uh, Main Street USA and smaller businesses, hmm. right? So whatever you're driving down the street or a more industrial area. And that could be everything from retail to distribution to plumbing, air conditioning, pest control, um, alarm monitoring businesses, um, home services, business services, small, smaller businesses, Main Street USA. We've had clients that bought businesses $25, $30 million, but typically Main Street USA type businesses, not um, not as my um, as a colleague of mine calls shitty little businesses. A lot of them are really good businesses, but a, a wide array right now. In the process of buying a business, whether it be an online is a little bit of an exception, but whether it be a retail business, a distribution business, a manufacturing, uh, a manufacturing business, a service business, a home service business, a business service. If you take the entire process of buying a business from the day one that you're thinking about it to the end of the road, when you get to the finish line and close in a deal, 80% of the process repeats itself regardless of the industry, at least. 
because the process of coming up and determining what type of business is right for you, how to find businesses, dealing with business brokers, valuing businesses, doing the negotiation, conducting your uh, arranging financing, um, negotiating deal terms, conducting your due diligence, investigating the competition and the suppliers and the employees and the industry and the market, that repeats itself over and over again, regardless of the industry. Mm. You sometimes get industry specific related. Sense. Yeah, related to certain valuations um, of businesses that may, that may change. Um, online businesses are a little different because you've got to know what you're buying. I mean, yeah. what you see online, it may not even be real. That's yeah, the first yeah. thing. The second thing is you buy a business and you typically have a non-compete in place with the former owner, which prevents him or her from becoming your competitor for a certain period of time in a certain geographical area. Well, how are you going to do that online? Yeah, They're going to open yeah. up anywhere. You could be you could be anything and be anywhere when you own an online yep. business. And so you can shelter so much of that, too, because it's not necessarily you. It could be another. Yeah, sure. So you have to be very cautious. And so for us, we have our, our main guide, which covers really covers everything. And then we do have some industry specific guides, how to buy a restaurant, gas station, retail store, liquor store, online business, UK business, and Australian business. The UK business um, was because I, was, I did a lot of joint venture work with a company in the UK and there were some peculiarities. The Australian business is more personal. My wife is an Aussie. And originally I decided that maybe I'll, I'll, I'll do an Australian version because I go right off the cost of the trip to go over there and do my, <laughs> and do my research. Right. So, so by and large, you know, someone who's buying a business, it, it's going to repeat itself. The other thing that I love about this, even though we update our materials every year, I mean, yes, you know, and, and sometimes they're more anecdotal. If I died and came back in 20 years, I'd have to rewrite maybe 10 pages out of 550 because uh -huh. it's it's been the same. There's certain yeah. things that happen. Yes, interest rates may train change um you know the regulation impact, stuff like regulation, that. regulation the impact of covid or the pandemic on on valuations the sure. you know, recession i mean there's some some of those um shorter term things that have impact the industry but for the most part it's the same and has been the same for many years the danger what's what i'm seeing happen which which really has been an uh, uh an incentive for me to get really re-engaged in this and have these type of conversations with people such as yourself, which I, I greatly appreciate. The internet has provided, you know, has been the, the greatest blessing and the worst curse for people looking to buy businesses. It's made the access easy to find businesses for sale, but there is so much misinformation and so much misleading information that people get some of the stats in this industry are horrific like 90 percent of the people who begin the search to buy a business never complete a transaction mm. and 80 percent of the businesses listed for sale online never sell and so because there's so much min mis misinformation or generic um, information and now you have the proliferation of what you've spoken to earlier of people talking about you know buy a business making two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for no money down in 30 days i mean it's crazy and people you know become um they're they're susceptible to that right because it all sounds great if you don't know sure of course the other part of that though is here's where my mind goes is if a business is successful and that person who owns the business is making money why do most people sell and i would automatically think if that business is successful enough to where they want to sell it they're going to, I'm going to pay top dollar for a business and has all the money from that business been squeezed out of it to the point to where I'm paying top dollar. And then I've got to work even harder to try to make any more money out of it. Does that make sense? Like that's my perfect. curiosity perfect I'm concerned about. 
It makes perfect sense. And it's a it's a great question. So the first part is why people want to sell. There's a whole host of reasons people just oh, sure, get yeah. to us, you know, get to a certain age. Other reasons people get bored. There's all divorce. the more. Yeah. yeah, the morbid reasons, death, divorce, medical, etc. And businesses on average, you know, smaller businesses um, sell on average every five years. And so there's always a large turnover. Um, and a lot of these you don't even hear about because they go to family or friends or whatever. And, you mm-hmm. know, the ones you hear about, you know, um, let's say through typically uh, business for sale websites. I mean, that those are typically controlled by business brokers. That's only about 10% of all the sales. Most of them are friends, family, um, or, or, or uh, competitors, uh, strategic sales. So <clears throat> the first part is there's a whole host of reasons. And you want to get to the reason of why someone is selling because oftentimes under – the under uh, the underpinnings of that could be problematic, right? They may see the writing on the wall, and businesses typically have a trajectory, right? They start off at the beginning, and you do this climb, right? And they right. go from they go from a startup if they get to the point of being great, and they eventually decline. I mean, one of the things that I talk about is, you know, I don't tell people how to buy the perfect business, how to buy fantastic business, how to buy the greatest business. I say how to buy a good business because you want a business that's in between the startup and the great pinnacle. It's good. Right. And it still has trajectory going for it because that's that's the path that a business goes on. Right. Every single business goes through that cycle. Right. It starts. Yeah. You have this good stage. Hopefully for quite a long period of time, it gets to its pinnacle and eventually has to drop. And so you want to buy it at the good stage. Now, how do you know there are mature businesses? The whole key to determining that you're going to get a business that, first of all, is going to do well with you as the owner, because you may be buying a good business, but if you're the wrong person to operate it, it's going south in a hurry. Yeah. Conversely, there's a lot of good businesses run by the wrong owners. Yeah, totally. It's a huge concern, right? If somebody's listening to this right now, sure, I want to buy a a business, but how do I know I'm a good operator of that type of business, especially if it's outside my lane? Well, that's the key is it can't be outside your lane. Mm. That's where people make a mistake. The 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 fundamental thing, if, if you were to ask me, um, like as far as hanging up a target of what's the most important thing in this process, you have to buy business that's right for you. So it's mm. very important to understand there are good businesses that are run by the wrong people. And similarly, if you're the wrong pe- person to operate a business, that good business is going to go into the toilet pretty quickly. There's not like buying real estate where even if you overpay for a property, time heals every real estate area. area. Yeah, it'll, so it'll you, appreciate over time. Sure. Yeah. Oh, if you have the time to conservice the debt, the building will still be there. You buy the wrong business, you're out of business in a year. And so, but similarly, your upside is much greater because if you're the right person. So the mantra that I always tell people is the following. First of all, there's two things to consider. Number one, don't confuse expertise with experience. Just because you've been in a certain sector, right, of 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 healthcare or manufacturing or distribution or, or you know uh, whatever sector you've been, that is experience. Okay, that's not expertise. Expertise is what you did within that experience, whether it be in sales, operations, logistics, planning, um, uh, uh, putting a team together. Ex- um, uh, identifying opportunities and executing marketing, advertising, whatever the case may be, that's your expertise. And now when you're buying a business, there's not like you're going for a job interview where you can bullshit a little bit just to get the job and you figure it out after you get going is you can't make mistakes. You're not learning on someone else's dime anymore. So the mantra is whatever it is that you do best has to be the single most important driving factor of the revenue and profits of every business of any business you consider purchasing. You, If you marry your greatest skill, and everybody has a greatest skill, 
If you marry your greatest skill to the business that needs that, you're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. They're going to be ups. There's going to be downs. Just that, that's sure. business ownership. But sure. you will avoid that issue that you raised of buying someone else's problem if you buy a business that's perfectly suited for your um, skill set. That's why I don't believe in buying distressed businesses. That's why I don't believe in buying garbage businesses. People look, well, you buy distressed garbage. But if you buy a, a garbage business could never be priced cheap enough. Now, as far as the valuation is concerned, so what if you overpay? Right, because now it's like, oh, and like the valuation is going to make it look like it's a, a winner or exciting because you're not paying as much. But if it's a garbage business. It's garbage. Any yeah. way you strike it. But however, if you buy a good business, let's assume what this is, how you, you we talked about earlier, how people want to envision their lives. Your goal for buying a business. First of all, it can't just be financial. That could be one of the things, because if you focus just on the money, it's not going to work out very well. Never does. But you're buying a business. Okay. You hate your job. You don't like it. You don't see an upside. So you you want to buy a business because you don't want restrictions put on your upside. You're going to have a chance to build something. You have the opportunity to help other people, right? And 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 improve their lives. You're right. going to have the joy of getting up every morning. And, and there's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. But you're going to, by and large, you're going to really enjoy what you're doing. You're going to build value over time. You're going to be able to exit it. For and recover and, and and get a tremendous return on your investment if you do it properly. And for all of that, you're going to get paid during this whole time frame. Mm-hmm. So who cares if you pay a little too much? Big deal. I mean, you're buying a trim, you're buying all these magnificent benefits. Yeah. If you do it the right way, and it's very doable. I mean, we're going to talk about sending men to the moon here. Buying a business is not it's it's not difficult. It's just complicated. But I think that's what I think for me anyway, I can see where that's the fear sometimes is what I do isn't complicated. What I know isn't complicated, right? And in and, and my business, because I built this model over the last 10, 15 years. But to do something that I'm passionate about, that I'm excited about, do something that would bring me joy to wake up in the morning, all those things are are great. And yet there's still the learning curve of if I've never done retail before to get into retail might not be the smartest thing, or maybe it could be, but I don't know if I want to have that learning curve, right. Um, getting over the stuff that you, the fear of, of course, every business has fear in it, but getting over the fear of how do I enter into a new realm of my business? Like you, like we talked about earlier, some people might want to be, starting new types of careers or going from one thing to another, that's a big deal to get over that fear or that fear of doing it. And it sounds like part of what you do is almost in some ways, not counseling, but support people in that fear and that concern and what they're going through. The, the observation of the fear is really important because you're, you should have a very healthy combination of fear and excitement during Mm. this process. So the fear is going to force you to be diligent. The excitement is going to keep you going when you get knocked off the path because a deal doesn't work out or you find a business that the seller represented, they're making X and you find it's X minus 50% and you have to, you know, get back on your horse again. And so having a good, healthy combination of those two um, emotions is really, um, is, is, is a, it's a perfect recipe, right? Isn't that really the truth in almost everything, right? Like you think about that and relationships and business, 
You do have to have that healthy combination of both the fear and excitement. A hundred percent agree. I like to look at it and, and, you know, it's also like no matter how much work that you've done, first of all, you're never going to buy a perfect business. There's always warts and blemishes. There's no such thing as a perfect business. But even I, I tell clients and I do do a ton of hold handing. That's that's what I bring. You know, I believe brings tremendous value to our clients because their situations, emotional and otherwise, they may be going through and explaining to them that it's normal. But I like to tell people is if the, the closing of the transaction becomes anticlimactic. If it's not, then you got a problem. And by that, I mean, when you get to the actual closing, you think closing, you think you're going to be doing backflips back that you're so excited. But it's actually, if you do it properly and methodically, it's just for one more step in the process. You, you just know you got there in a meaningful way, right? It's like sometimes you, you're so eager for something. And then when it happens, because you've done so much preparation, you're less excited than you thought you would be, right? The other thing is, you know, if you sleep well before the night of the closing, you probably shouldn't buy the business. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's, it's just, it's just part of it. Now you've got a lot more decisions you can make, whereas yes. uh, then it was, what would I do or what will I do eventually, you know, get there. What's, yeah, do, you, you have, do you have a favorite, and, and I know we're running short on time, but I would love to know, do you have like a favorite success story of a business that you helped someone else buy and it turned into like a sweet deal for them or it was everything they hoped they wanted and more. I'm going to give you three short ones. Okay. One of them, one of them is a friend of mine, um, Gary Ellswig. And I say a friend because he became a friend. He bought my course a number of years ago. Then he ended up hiring me as a mm -hmm. consultant. And then he ultimately, he was in the engineering business, but decided that he should actually, we, we looked for a ton of businesses. We couldn't find one to buy. He started one and then we made a bunch of acquisitions afterwards. And he built that business into multi-hundred million dollar company, exited a few times. He's a brilliant guy, oh. engineer, and he's done unbelievable. From a Was it in the engineering field or was yes. it something? It was, interesting. Okay. The other one is a gentleman who I spoke to and has actually just wrote a, a beautiful, a, made a video testimonial for me recently. His name is Don Wilson, who is in the financial services businesses, okay, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. And I believe it was, um, I forget the name, I think it was Primerica that he worked for. Ah. And he ended up leaving. He bought a candy retail business which was nothing to do with his experience. Yeah, that's what I say. That's that. However, it has everything to do with his expertise because he dealt one-on-one -on -one with people. And in mm. retail, he's standing behind the counter. He's dealing one-on-one -on -one with people. Yeah, and so yeah. that's a perfect example of experience versus expertise. He built, he started off, he, he bought my course, started with $30,000 to make an investment in this business, got an, an SBA loan, some seller financing, built it up to multi-location, subsequently sold it, bought a bunch of other um a uh, bunch of other locations has exited as a multi-millionaire now lives in Venice, Florida. And he is just a, a wonderful man, a wonderful guy. And he, and he's really counseled his son, Anthony, both of them were on a zoom call with me not long ago. And we walked through this whole experience. So that's a, a beautiful story. Um, nice. and, 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 and really like just salt of the earth guy. Another one is actually in Canada, um, who also recently spoke with. He he just posted a nice thing on LinkedIn about us, and this is, goes back to a number of a few, a number of years. His name is Iggy Domagalski. Um, he bought my course, subsequently bought ten businesses, built it up to over two hundred million dollars in revenue, sold it to a company called Wayjax in Canada, which is a company that's 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 older than Canada. 
And then wow. he became the CEO of Wayjax. And he has sent me the amount of people that have bought my materials as a result of him is mind boggling. He even wow. trained this whole staff about making acquisitions. I mean, it's crazy how many uh, have people have acquired it. So, you know, I'm happy to say that our testimonials, like our, we, we've redesigned our website recently. It's not even not even launched yet. Like even the people that were doing the website saying like, you know, we could have 50 pages of testimonials. I have so many testimonials. So I can't great. even post them. I have them in my garage in binders because I'm an old fashioned guy. So I like to print them out. Right. And yeah. so there I have boxes of them. Binders full, wow. three binders full in the, in, in, in the, uh, in the garage. Just so if you have like um, 40 hours one week and you want me to walk through all of the wonderful stories, I'm happy to do it because <laughs> you, can, you can see during the call things, it brings a big smile to my face. We've helped so many. It's it, That's the greatest part of what I do. I mean, that's so those are three, I think, cool. from the top of my head. But it's cool. yeah, it's, it's just a, a just an incredible boatload of success stories, which is like there's nothing better for my heart than that. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. My, I, I did have to ask another question though, because you mentioned it and I've, I thought about it earlier. I forgot about it. And then you brought it back up. So you mentioned there is some seller financing in one of the deals. I'm assuming, and, and, and quite a bit of this, you could find some really great ways for creative financing that would go into a lot of these type of deals for the right people. Yeah, with the way we teach people is seller financing is critical. I would personally never buy a business without it. 91% of our clients get seller financing. If you, can't get the, if you can't get the seller to put skin in the game, though that alone tells you what they think about the future of the business, unless they have something, a mitigating situation um, where they must get money because it's a medical issue and, and sure. you know, that type of thing. But if that's the case, well, I've, you know, I feel sorry for them, but you need to leverage that and really take advantage of it. And, 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 and so they need to take a significant haircut on their price and terms so yes seller financing it's the way deals get done they've in the lower market it's been the way for for decades it's um and personally i wouldn't buy a business without it i think because, it's a really interesting philosophy it's so true right if they don't believe in the future of this business enough sell it to someone else yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. And so, you know, there's um you, you buying, you know, the, the the myth in this world is you could buy businesses for no money down. That doesn't exist. You can buy businesses with a tremendous amount of leverage, um, mm. good leverage, seller financing. The other thing is if the business, God forbid, runs into any trouble, right? You have a lot more leverage with the seller. They don't want the business back if you have to renegotiate sure. the loan or take a tax I mean a holiday from 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 paying them for a while if you should run into any difficulty. So again, I I'm 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 in the midst of writing this updated report related to the recession and COVID and the impact on business sale. One of the things that I talk about is I'd never buy, don't buy a business without seller financing. Love it. Love it. All right. Well, geez, we could probably talk like this forever. Like you said, if we had 40 hours to talk about more of the people, Richard, this is amazing. And for anybody listening, I hope I, first of all, ask the questions that you were thinking that wanted, you wanted to ask. But second of all, go check him out on his website, uh, I like I said I've gone through it. I've I've looked at a lot of different stuff because I want to get to know Richard a little bit more. It's just richardparker.com. Is there any other places that they can reach you? Any social media or stuff like that, that they can reach you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, the guides are also sold on a, a you know sister company called Diomo, which is doing it, the abbreviation for doing it on my own.com. But richardparker.com is the best place because I have hundreds of articles that are free. Oh, yeah. um, there's never any pressure. If someone wants to just learn about it, they could. You could spend days reading through great articles about every facet of the process of the process on RichardParker.com. So it's where I'd highly recommend 
that you um, take yourself and, and, and educate yourself. And, and of course, if anybody ever wants to get in touch with me, there's contact pages on those. Feel free, anybody, I encourage, contact me directly. I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions you have. And certainly, someone wants to jump onto a call with some uh, pressing questions. It's, it's a joy for me to do that. Yeah, I think it's really smart. You know, there's a lot of people that I know are listening who are in the private practice space, right? Doctors, uh, dentists, orthodontists, chiropractors, and there's a big wave of selling businesses right now. And there's also some that are trying to go out and buy more. And I think just the information and knowledge, I like that you said almost 80% of all transactions are the same because I can see where somebody's like, well, you don't understand the, the the dental space, the ortho space, or whatever the space is that they're listening to that they're in um, or that they're listening from. Uh, just getting an outside perspective, I'm always a huge fan of that. Getting somebody like Richard to sit down and you ask the questions, and if he doesn't have the answers, I'm sure he knows where to find the answers. But I'd be surprised if out of all these years, he hasn't run into something that you have come up against. And so I would just highly recommend even just going and having that conversation and asking the question. Richard's put himself out there for all of you listening to do so. So jump on it for sure. Uh, Richard, we always end our show with four specific questions around your role. Would you be willing to play? Absolutely. What do I win? What do I have a chance to win? Just a good feeling. Perfect. Let's go. A red Chicago Hockey jersey is what you win. No, I, I don't want Chicago. I don't want Montreal Canadiens jersey. That's what it's in the back. Oh, okay. See, that's how bad I am. So I have but, no idea. But Chicago has actually, I think, the nicest jersey in all the professional sports. I shot sports, my so. shot and I was completely wrong. <laughs> the, the, the Chicago Blackhawks have the nicest jersey, but I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan. Nice. Uh, first question. What is the highest and greatest responsibility that you have on this earth? Taking care of my family. What do you want as the ultimate outcome for your life to be? I want people to say he was a good guy. What do you consider true leadership to be? Making everybody better around you. And last, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, we all will have that one final day on this life experience. Throughout this experience between now and dead, what experience do you hope or want to have before that day comes? Wow. Besides the obvious ones of spending as much possible time as I can with my family, I want to go fly fishing to Alaska. Oh, nice. Put that on your list. You can make that happen. I could make that happen. It's just sheer laziness that I have, and I'm just waiting for the right time. But yes, that's something. <laughs> but I don't want that at the top of the pyramid because there's family stuff, of course. But that would be the that that would be the uh, one thing. Cool experience. Well, it's been an amazing experience having you on the show today and getting to know you even more, and having you share your story. Even even though it's I know a tiny fraction of the story you could share, but thank you for taking the time to do that with us today. Well, I really appreciate you having me here and you asked terrific questions and hopefully it's provided some value and interest for your listeners. I, I'm, I'm, I have no doubt about that. And speaking of our listeners, thank you all for joining us on the Own Your Role podcast. Remember to please subscribe and get alerts so that when we do send out the new podcast that you can be alerted of when it's available. Also, feel free to continue to share this with your friends and colleagues who you feel might Uh, gain some knowledge and information in their own life and business. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to the Own Your Role podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. 
Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Own Your Role podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you're alerted for every new episode we release. And don't forget to write us a review and let us know how we're doing. You can also follow me on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, all the social medias. Just search at Dino Watt. And if you'd like me to come and help your team or audience learn to own their role in person, make sure you go to DinoWatt.com for more details. I'll see you on the next episode.